Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program coming your way from Palm Beach, Florida, where it is utterly gorgeous. I'm not going to belabor the point of beautiful weather. I know Houston has beautiful weather, too. We are on the Atlantic Ocean, but nobody's really getting to enjoy it here because everyone's been in meetings all day, but no one's complaining, so I'm not going to start with that. But I will start with this. We're going to have Lovey Smith on in just a second here. Right after Coach Smith, a visit with Robert Sala, head coach of the New York Jets, on his days with the Texans and the NRG coaches' cradle that existed in the mid-O's with Dom Capers bringing in Coach Sala and then the Gary Kubiak clan with Kyle Shanahan and Mike LaFleur. No, it was Matt LaFleur, not Mike. And it was also Mike McDaniel, who's now the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. We'll talk to Robert about that. After that, Shereen Williams, you've heard of her, Pro Football Talk. She used to be with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, a John McClain protege, sort of. She's a Texan from Beaumont and an Aggie. We'll talk to her about these meetings and some other relevant stuff. And later on in the show, Buffalo's getting a new stadium. Buffalo's still in contention for a Super Bowl. Texans played Buffalo last year. Sal Carpaccio, the sideline reporter, a friend of John Harris, and I'm stealing a visit with him later on in the program. First, let's start with the head coach of your Texans, Lovey Smith, on what he gets out of this experience at the NFL annual meeting. Well, a lot of things. Um, you know, first off, you know, we as coaches, you don't get a, uh, a lot of time to really socialize, mm -hmm. uh, where it's just not, you know, about winning that game that day. And through the years, you kind of build up relationships. You and your family build up relationships. So uh, to get a chance to see people in that light helps. But for us, it's about, you know, the new year started. Uh, new rules uh, that might come into play. Uh, just listen to the NFL, going over all the do's and don'ts a little bit on our job. Uh, that helped an awful lot. And then just start to, you know, talk about, you know, our team. There's a, of course, there's media sessions, too, to yep. get the message out to our fans on, on how we're going to change this uh, program around and how we're, gonna, how we're working to get back on top. Well, we were in the kickoff meeting, and they were talking about the fans, and I wanted to say, say fourth phase, fourth phase, that's your thing. <laughs> well, uh, that is. And, uh, and I thank everybody, you know, from going through all those meetings, you see uh, – how important the fans really are. They mm -hmm. really do make the game. And uh, I, I'm a coach, but I'm a fan too. I'm going to be involved in, in football all my life. And so I understand exactly what, you know, when you can't be inside like we are on being mm -hmm. on the outside and wanting to get to know as much as you, you possibly can about your favorite team. I felt that throughout. From the time I've been, I've been named, I was named uh, the head football coach for the Houston Texans. Uh, the fans will let me know that. Uh, advice, you know, people that really know the game and, and, and a lot of people that really know our, our, our Texan football team. Right. And a lot of times, you know, what we're trying to do is kind of align with what they, they know that we need to do also. All right. At the Combine a few weeks ago, you talked about that's where you got your job interview to get into the league with Monty Kiffin. Yes. What are your memories of this meeting? Because this is for head coaches and GMs, and I know you've been to many of these. So do you have any memories from the O's or any other time? Yes. I mean, on a personal uh, front, you know, how times have changed. I remember my first uh, one down. Matter of fact, the first one was actually here at this same facility. So, you know, you bring your families down. And I know one thing from a personal point, my, my kids, uh, we forced them to come. 
and uh, they wanted to be off with their, their friends on spring break. But no, what I remember as much as anything is just starting the process, being in the mm-hmm. room with all, with, you know, with 31 other, you know, 32 owners really counting ours and seeing exactly how the inner workings go in the NFL and realizing, too, of, of how much of a, you know, thrill but blessing it was to be amongst this elite group of guys. I know you're putting together the 2022 Texans with Nick Casario, and you've re-signed some players that you had last year yes. and who did a good job for you. What is that like for you to be able to bring some guys back who contributed, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and they're back for you? Well, you know, last year when we came in, it was about, hey, watching a little bit of video and making some decisions. Right. I think it's really neat when you get a chance to work with somebody, you know, in our case, for a year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the guys, when they sign one of your contracts, I mean, we all were interviewing for a year. So I guess I was interviewing. I uh, didn't know it. Uh, but our players were also. And, and it's always good when you're making decisions uh, to see guys perform. And that's what we're able to do. So we got a chance to see them in every situation, in the, in the meeting room, how they respond, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately maybe, after loss how they hound wins, but just a day-to-day operation that we got a chance. And as we lay our foundation, there's a certain uh, look, a uh, certain type of athlete we want in our system. And if we brought a player back this year, we liked an awful lot that they did last year. I know you've been going to a bunch of pro days. So when you go to a pro day and you're observing somebody up close, are you looking at what they're doing unto themselves or how they fit in with what the Texans do? How do you go about that process, Coach? A, a combination of both. There's an awful lot you can get from video. I mean, mm-hmm. it comes down to how they play the game, yes. But, you know, the game stops, you know, and how they, the interactions that they have in between. When you go to a pro workout, just, uh, you know, and luckily in my case I've been around the game a little bit. Most places we go I know someone that I really trust. I trust their opinion for them to be able to give it to me in detail. And, again, when you go through a game, most of the, the pro days, you know, there's multi, uh, you know, multiple hours you're going to be there. So you really do get a chance to observe how he handles it in a comfortable position for him. And, just, and in the end, too, video, you don't get a chance to see every little movement that you would like to see a player make. And when you're in charge of the workouts, you get a chance to see that. And the way they conduct themselves in their natural habitat, right, where they've been living for the last three or four years. Yeah. I don't think most people lose jobs when you come in. You're a bit, the best of you you're going to see right then. Right. And people kind of let their hair down a little bit, you know, after they get, <laughs> get away from there. That's what you get a chance to see uh, when you, I feel like when you go to different pro workouts. And that's based on history of, uh, of uh, different workouts I've been through been to and then how players actually end up panning out how do you feel about getting all these extra picks now that the watson deals in the rearview mirror you get yes. all these draft selections this year and in the coming years well uh feel real good about them and um and what we wanted to do and i'm talking nick and i and everyone i think that mm-hmm. loves the houston texans we did we just wanted to be able to really go forward and that's what you know finality to it Right. I mean, now you know exactly uh, what we're going forward with, who we're going forward with. Good for Deshaun, of course, good for us. Sometime divorce is a good thing. The divorce is official now, and we can both go our ways. And in our case, uh, we won four games. That's not enough. We're not good enough. So how do, you, how do we get better? 
one way to get better, of course, is to improve the, the talent level and getting another, you know, more picks this year will help a lot. When you bring all those young players in, and way more than you did last year, we don't know what the final number is going to be undrafted free agents or if they're going to be trades during the draft or whatever, but it'll be more than last year. What is it like to coach young players and get them assimilated quickly into what you like to do? We just talked about the guys you've had around here. Now you have to have new players come in, young players. I think it's a general rule you say when you bring in young players, especially players that don't know anything about the league. They're they're eager. I mean, what do I need to do, coach? Everybody wants to get into the NFL. What do I need to do? I think they're more open then. My, my deal in, in time, uh, you, you can have more of an influence on a player that's younger. So that would be the case. You need that veteran leadership, and we have it established right now. Now it is about bringing in as much young talent as we possibly can. Every pick allows us an opportunity to do that. We're almost in April. What can you tell us about when players get back and what you can do with them, what your plans are to bring the veterans back and start coaching them? Well, I mean, that's the exciting part. You know, it was about, you know, for me, getting on the job. It was about the staff, getting the staff in place, mm-hmm. then free agency. You know, yeah. evaluating our roster and then free agency, uh, combine. Uh, of course, you mentioned the draft. We're still preparing for it. But it's still about our players. So that's why the excitement. Uh, to answer your question, April 11th mm-hmm. is the first day for our – the first day that we start our off-season program. Four days a week. There are three different phases. You know, the first phase will be a couple weeks, and it's just uh, them coming in, seeing what type of shape they're in, strength and conditioning, and meetings. Second phase, now the coaches get a chance to work on the football field. So we'll have uh, two weeks, phase one. We'll have a voluntary mini camp the third week. The next, the following three weeks after that, we'll be able to go out on the football field and actually coach them with different techniques. That's when the football part starts. And then the last three weeks will be our version of college spring ball. No hitting anything like that, but now you can have some offense versus defense. And that's the way we'll finish up our off-season workouts. Coach, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck. Thanks for having me on. There's Coach Lovey Smith. And we're going to have Nick Casario on tomorrow, President Greg Grissom of the Texans on this week, a whole bunch of other stuff as well. All right, let's get to this. Robert Sala, who coached with the Texans as an assistant a long time ago, let's visit with him on how this all went down and how the coach's cradle at NRG got started. A long time ago, (laughs) in a faraway place in Houston, you were in one room and, and who is the, the list of coaches? With All right. You? So we were in, uh, in, in the boardroom, in, in the stadium. It was a staff room. And uh, in one corner, I was the first one in the building with yeah. Dom Capers. I was uh, in one corner. And then when Coach Kubiak came and retained me, across from me was Mike McDaniel. And then the year after comes Matt LaFleur. And the year uh, – uh, Kyle the year, Shanahan was there. Kyle Shanahan was the receivers coach. Um, but in that room, uh, Richard Hightower joined along. He's mm-hmm. a special teams coordinator at Chicago. So, um, you know, I know the, the, the Washington, you know, it was, it was a heck of a crew, heck of a crew. Heck of a crew, no doubt. And back then, it's easy to ask, well, did you know you'd all become head coaches? <laughs> but what are you thinking at that point in your career? Uh, you're trying to survive the nights, the long nights, the, all, the, all the paperwork, the computer work, all the different things that uh, you're asked to do at that age. And, uh you know, you never know where it's going to come. And, you know, there's so many great football coaches in this league and there's that, that just haven't had the opportunity because of, for one reason or another, um, caught lightning in a bottle myself and, and just 
being with Coach Carroll at Seattle and, and all the things that I learned from him and Gus Bradley and uh, uh, and got we got hot. We won a won a world championship and, and the rest is history. So, do you and Matt Lafleur go back to Central Michigan together? We do. Yeah. Wow. So we were at Central. We were roommates, uh, um, groomsmen at each other's weddings, and uh, uh, so he's he's like he's he's family. Not fa- he's not like family. He is family. So. Are you and Mrs. Sala? How many children? We're at seven now. Seven, seven. only seven. Only she gets me when I'm sleeping. All right, so this is intel. She said your oldest is still a Texans fan. Is that true? Yeah, he. So he identified because he was born. He was uh, born when we were at Houston. Uh, I, we he was three months when we when we went to Seattle. But uh, he identified. All my kids identify with where they were born. Okay. So he's a Rockets <laughs> fan, Astros, uh, Texans fan. Although it's he's. We're, we're still first because Texans are always second, but uh, but you get the point. He's he is uh, he identifies with Houston. All right, one more for you. Your best. Give me a great memory or two from being in the Texans organization. What stands out to you? When you, uh, you know what? It's the people, and I, and I mean that. Like uh, um, you know, God rest his soul with uh, with Papa McNair and mm-hmm. and seeing Cal from the beginning and um, the the city, the diversity, the. Uh, the food, the the, the rodeo, uh, yeah. just just all of it. It was uh, my wife still to this day says that was her favorite place she's ever lived and really wants to, to make that home one day. But uh, uh, although Jersey's catching up here, I'm sure. not gonna lie to you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but uh, but she um, but Houston, it, it, it was such a uh, a family oriented uh, uh, city and the organization in and itself with all the great people. It was a, a tremendous experience, especially for a first time. Uh, coaching the NFL, being with Gary Kubiak and his staff, and the mm-hmm. things that he developed, and, and even Dom and, and Vic Fangio, but uh, um, the people for sure. Outstanding. And then you came back and beat the Texans with the Jets. So uh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Well, best of luck in year two. Yes, sir. Thank you so right. much. Thanks, coach. You got it. Robert Sala, head coach, New York Jets, former Texans assistant. Coming up, Shereen Williams, what she has to say about the Houston Texans, her experience with Lovey Smith in Tampa, what she thinks is going on with the Dallas Cowboys, these NFL meetings, and a whole lot more here on Texans Radio. Great to have you listening to Texans All Access coming your way from Palm Beach, Florida, NFL annual meeting. They call it the owners' meetings, they meaning media and outsiders, but it's really the NFL annual meeting with lots of little meetings inside there. But they're not so little because they are deciding on big things, including but not limited to this week, overtime. Let's get to our next guest, Shereen Williams. She works for Pro Football Talk. She used to be with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. John McClain has talked about her an awful lot, former president of the Pro Football Writers Association of America. And I started asking her the difference between working for PFT, which we all follow, face it, and the newspaper business, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Well, you know, working with newspapers, you have a a little different deadlines than you do working Mm -hmm. for a website where it's pretty much 24-7. So... We're going all the time at, at Pro Football Talk, and that's the only thing we do where, you know, if you're in a newspaper, you're covering, obviously, the thing I covered seven Olympics, and it was a great experience. But now I'm all football all the time, which I, I love. It's my first love. And you're a past president of the uh, Pro Football Writers yeah. Association, too, right? Yeah, that's right. Does the popularity of the game, well, let me get your reaction to it, because the yeah. game's more popular than ever, 
in an age where TV viewership is going down with yeah. virtually everything and it's getting more fragmented, the NFL continues to grow or at least hold steady in all the major categories. Yeah, you remember Mark Cuban a few years ago said mm -hmm. they're the fat hog and fat hogs get slaughtered eventually. Right. Um, and they, have a, they haven't found that, that. It hasn't happened to the NFL. No matter what they've gone through, whether it's the Sean Watson scandal or, I mean, there's so many things, the Brian Flores lawsuit and everything else that we've seen just nothing can seem to deter the nfl from its popularity it just gets more popular popular by the year i've done this since 1994 and you know this is the craziest off season i've ever seen in my entire mm -hmm. career 94 was the first year of unfettered free agency so i've seen every one of them and there's nothing that compares to this so it's become really a a 365 day a year event and and they can outdraw with their free agency or trades and all everything that happens in the off season other sports i mean what mm -hmm. are people talking about now they're talking about all the quarterback trades and the receiver trades and the signings and just everything else we've seen this off season more than they're talking about the nba or baseball starting up or hockey getting toward the playoffs or whatever it is even even college basketball right now the nfl's bigger more people are talking about what's going on in this off season why do you think it is with the craziness of the new league year free agency and all the trades i you know i think it it tom brady started it two years ago and mm -hmm. I, I know it wasn't a trade but he changed teams and he won immediately with the new team and i think teams who had quarterbacks they thought they could win with and weren't winning with those quarterbacks said, okay, it's time for us, the Rams being the perfect example last year, we, we've had a quarterback who's taken us to the Super Bowl. Now we need to find one who can win us the Super Bowl. And I think that changed everything, what's happened over the last two years. And then with the Rams just giving up all those picks mm -hmm. to get all the players they got, at, you know, the – Mike Florio, my boss, calls it the ramsification of the NFL. And I do think we've seen some of that with teams who think they're close, just kind of pushing the chips to the middle of the table and go, mm -hmm. we're willing to give up whatever it takes to, to win a championship. So I think those things probably changed how business was done because you and I grew up in, in eras when, you know, players generally, especially quarterbacks, stayed with the team they started with. Right. Teams drafted them. They stayed there. They finished their career there, and, and they were heroes. You know, Roger Staubach being the perfect example. I grew up in Beaumont, but I grew up a Cowboys fan rooting for Roger Staubach, and he was the reason why, and he retired a Cowboy. And I couldn't imagine him playing for a different team. But in the era we are in today, he would have finished his career somewhere else. There's no question. Does Danny White not get enough credit? That <laughs> just came to my mind. No, you're absolutely right. He doesn't get right. enough credit. I think he's probably the – third or fourth best quarterback in mm -hmm. team history. You put him right there with Romo, I think they compare favorably, and, and Danny White accomplished more in the postseason. Absolutely, I'm with you on that. It's interesting. I, I didn't mean to get off on this tangent. Shereen Williams with us on Texans Radio from Pro Football Talk. But White went to, what, three NFC Championship yeah. games. Romo went to none. Right. And I know the numbers are better for Tony yeah. Romo. I get that, the talent and everything. But three NFC Championship games, if they were yeah. doing that today, they'd put Romo in the Hall of Fame probably. Yeah, Danny White in the Hall of Fame, yes. Right. Yeah. Well, well, but I'm saying if Romo, oh, Romo had done the, that. The three championship yeah. games, absolutely, and had yeah. the stats he had. Yeah, and people forget what a great punter Danny White was too. Right. right? He was a fantastic punter. And then you combine what he did in, in the other league, what was the USFL that he played in initially. Um, yeah, he had a great career. Or was that the WFL he played yeah, in? Yeah, you could be right. Okay. Don't, don't test me on that. <laughs>
All right. Tell me, when was the first time you got introduced to John McClain, and what was your first impression? <laughs> Uh, well, I grew up reading John McClain, so I grew up reading the Chronicle and Beaumont, and so I was a big fan of his growing up. And uh, we were at a championship game, and he says it was Buffalo, but I never covered a championship game in Buffalo, so I'm not sure which one it was. <laughs> so whatever the story is, we were at a championship game, though, and they used to have these parties the night before the game. And I went up and introduced myself to John and, and told him who I was, and I'd grown up. Um, you know, uh, reading him and was a big fan of his. And, and he kind of took me under the wing, as he's done so many others in this business and, and kind of uh, led me in my career. So I owe a lot to John and, and where I am today. And I wouldn't be where I am today without John. For Pro Football Talk, you write stories for them. Do you ever tweet for them? Because some tweets I can tell are clearly <laughs> yeah. from Florio. Right. Others are just a little bit more straightforward and promoting stories and that kind of thing. Oh, you're very uh, intuitive there. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so we tweet out our stories, and we might get in trouble for something we put. So we all put just general headlines, usually cut and paste the headline over, and then whatever the story reads, you add that to it. So, yes, you're exactly right. You can tell which tweets are his and which tweets are ours. Isn't that a phenomenon of new media really yeah. because i it really is. respect him for being able yeah. to create that out of thin air basically yeah. and it's become this empire and you mentioned you worked in the newspaper industry and that is where it is right now but this yeah. is really incredible with pro football talk and many other websites yeah, like. he started in his basement he was an attorney and i actually did a before i even worked for him i was getting my a couple years before i started with him i was getting my master's degree from south dakota state online and um, I, I had to do a story on new media, and I featured him, and I, it wasn't a story. It was a background on him. Well, I guess it was kind of a feature story. But anyway, so I, I learned a lot about how he got started, and this is just something he wanted to do and how it developed, and, and he's very good at it, and especially what he's good at is the, the law stuff because he is mm -hmm. an attorney, and he can see it from an attorney's eyes, things that I certainly don't see. And so when we go on air and there's something that is related to law, I generally just ask him questions and let him run with those things because he's so good at, at the law side of stuff. But I just think he brought something different that, that wasn't there that was kind of needed. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's one of those guys, some people love him and some people hate him. And, and uh, that's probably kind of how you want to be in this business, you know, that – they're going to read you no matter what, whether they love you or hate you. It's kind of like Cowboys being America's team. They're, they're going to watch. Right. Whether they love you or hate you, whatever the reason is, you don't really care, just so they're reading. I always want to be loved no matter what. That's my problem. Yeah. Shereen right. Williams With joining you. us on Texans Radio. <laughs> All right, so you're an Aggie, right? I am. And where'd you grow up? In Beaumont, Beaumont, you said. Yep. All right, so when people ask, like, why is high school football so popular in Texas? Yeah. Why is it a Texas thing? What do you tell them? You know, it's just kind of how we grew up. I mean, mm -hmm. you grew up going to high school football games on Friday nights. Even before I was in high school, I was in elementary school the first time I went to a high school football game. Mm -hmm. You know, we went all the time. Now, my mom was a teacher, so we went to some of their games. But, uh, you know, I just remember always going on Friday nights to watch Friday night football. It's just what you did. It's, it was just uh, part of culture mm -hmm. in Texas and still is. Um, and it's just different. You know, I, I, I worked in Florida for six years. And so my job in Florida, the first job I had was I lived in Daytona Beach. And NASCAR was my primary beat. But I also covered some high schools in Daytona, Daytona and anything else that was really going on in Daytona. And so they assigned me to, to go to a football game. So 
I, I get there early, like, because I'm like, well, I got to beat traffic, got to get up mm-hmm. to the press box, and I drive up, and, like, there's no cars, there's no traffic. I'm the first car in the parking lot, and it, it was probably two hours before the game, and I'm, like, looking around going, what, in, am I in the right place? Like, I checked, and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm in the right place. Like, but it's just, even, as good as the football is in Florida, high school football, it, it's not the same. Like, no. it doesn't compare. Like, people don't go to Friday night football. Like, I still go to Friday night football games. You know, I, yep. I don't have any attachment to them or anything, but I go quite a bit just to watch football because it's, so, it's just so good uh, in Texas. And it's so fun to watch, and it's just a fabric, I think, of our lives. The Cowboys, you covered them for so many years. Why is it, in your opinion, that they just haven't been, been able to get over the hump? It's been a quarter century yeah. now. Boy, that makes it sound long it's, when I put it, it like it's that. It's a really long time, 1995. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why. Um, sometimes it boils down to luck. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it boils down to coaching. I don't know. They've always had the right coaches in there with some of the coaches they've had. And, and of course, you got to have the quarterback. And I don't know that they've had the right quarterback. I mean, Romo was good, but he, he wasn't at that level to get him over the top. And frankly, I'm not certain that Dak Prescott is that guy to get him over the hump either. Mm-hmm. And, it, and if he's not, then the Cowboys have to have that mentality in a couple of years to say, yeah, we've given this guy plenty of time here to get us over the hump. We feel like we've put the team around him. We haven't gotten it done. Let's go try to get better at that position. And maybe they eventually have to do that. But it's a great question of why. And I don't know that it's just one thing, uh, one answer for, for why they haven't been there. But not to not even get back to the championship game is really saying something since 1995. It's just, we have a whole generation. There are tons of Cowboys fans, of course. But we have this whole generation, maybe two generations of, of fans now who haven't seen their team win a Super Bowl. They have no idea that this team used to be good year in and year out. Shereen, from the outside looking in, your thoughts on the Texans situation with Lovey Smith taking over at coach and the trade now finalized with Deshaun going to Cleveland and everything they've got set up for this year and beyond with draft choices and everything else. Yeah, well, I, you know, I as I said, I my first NFL job was working in Tampa and I mm-hmm. had David Culley on my first staff and I had him at A&M as well. Um, and then we followed. I followed him, I guess, to Tampa. So we mm-hmm. were on. We were in Tampa together. And then uh, Lovey came into Tampa after David Culley, and so I had him for a few years. And I'm a big fan of both of those guys. And uh, I think Lovey has proved that he can do a good job in the NFL. Coaching, of course, his last job at Illinois wasn't that great, but I think in the NFL, getting to a Super Bowl and and having your team there, just what we talked about. I mean. Got to have the right coach, the right quarterback, the right time. Things go right for you injury-wise and everything else. But I think this is a team, if they draft well and use these draft picks, they can get good in a hurry. I mean, I like what I saw. I had a, was assigned a lot of Texans games last year, and I really liked what I saw out of Davis Mills, especially late in the season. I think they have a quarterback to build around. I think he could be the guy. Again, if he's not the guy, you give him a couple years and you find out that he's not the guy, you can go get a different guy. But – they have something they think they can build with there. And if they use those picks right, this is going to be a team that could be get good in a hurry. And I wouldn't have said that a year ago. Right. You know, I, I, I would have had a lot of questions about how long it was going to take for this rebuild. But I think just with the picks that they have now and, and starting over, getting rid of – and I asked Lovey about this today, just the Deshaun situation hanging over them last year. I know it played a role, um, whether they want to believe it or not. And, and Lovey agreed that it, it played a role – 
um, in, in their team last year. Now, I don't think they would have won that many more games anyway. I think they did an amazing job winning four games, having said all that. But just to get that shadow out of there, out of Houston, I think mm-hmm. will really help this team moving forward and use the picks wisely. And you're a couple years, they'll, they could be right on the back or right track back. All right. Well, we hope to see you plenty at NRG Stadium this year. Hope so. All right. Thanks, Shereen. Thank you. Shereen Williams of PFT, Pro Football Talk. You follow them on Twitter, among other places. Great to visit with her. Now, let's get to Sal Capaccio of the Buffalo Bills. He does sideline for them, WGR radio host. A lot of thoughts on the AFC East, the AFC. The Bills a super contender, and the Bills are getting a new house to play in. We'll talk to him next on Texans All Access. Final segment on the show tonight here from Palm Beach, Florida, NFL annual meeting. Sal Capaccio, Buffalo Bills sideline reporter and WGR radio host, talks about the stadium situation in Western New York and overtime. It's a big part of the conversation here at the NFL annual meeting. What's the Bills vote? Do we even need to ask? People in Buffalo want both teams to possess the ball as long as the Bills are the second team. I think if <laughs> I think if it's the Bills getting the ball first, you wouldn't care as much. It is right. interesting that even this morning at the AFC Coaches Breakfast, we talked to Sean McDermott, and Sean basically said, when the game is speaking to us, we have to make a change. The the Bills want to see both teams have a possession. I mean, they're, right. they this is something they're in on. And Sean said, even going back before what happened in Kansas City, when the Bills not never got a chance to touch the ball, he's felt this way, that they have to have both teams touch the ball and get a possession. The Bills were going to present a timed overtime situation with a clock, but with each team guaranteeing possession, however that worked out, they never got to it because they said there just wasn't enough momentum for the actual proposal to be brought to the table. Well, it's interesting because I always felt like you got to increase the 10-minute overtime period if you're going to have each team get a possession because we've seen overtimes where, and the Texans have been involved in some, where you get into a you're running out of clock situation That's in the right. extra session. So yeah, and look, there's a lot of great ideas, Mark. We all see. Right. If, like, if you say overtime on our radio station, the phone lines light up like a Christmas sure. tree. Everyone's got, the, and I think there's some wild, awesome ways to do it. But one thing I always tell people: the NFL just doesn't want the game to keep going because of injuries. They want less snaps. And they TV will tell you window. that. Hundred yeah. percent. They want they want the game to be over. They want it to be over as quick as possible. But they recognize, I think, maybe the unfairness, if you will, of not having the ball twice. Or maybe, if you will, the entertainment value of Josh Allen not having the ball. Or Patrick Mahomes against the Patriots a few years ago not having the ball. Well, you just brought something up, and now I have to know. WGR in Western New York, Sal Carpaccio with us. Sal, what is the go-to topic? Because in Houston, you can always get calls if you talk about the Astrodome and what should happen to it. When I was in Miami, it was the Orange Bowl. I know these are facilities, and we'll get to your facility in a moment, but there are others as well. What is the hot go-to topic on a slow day in Buffalo? 13 seconds. What happened with 13 seconds left Okay. in the AFC Divisional round? That's really kind of haunting this team right now. And we've had a lot of things haunt our team, including home run throwback when right. uh, you know against the Titans and wide right you know yeah. I mean in, in Super Bowl 25 we've had a lot of these things Sabres no goal against the Dallas Stars and Brett Hall and fit foot in the crease this is another in the long list of heartbreaks this is literally has a name it's called 13 seconds and it's why didn't you squib kick how did you not defend Tyree kill how did you not just hold somebody on the play how do you let Patrick Mahomes go in two plays to kick a field goal and lose in overtime 13 seconds you say those words, they they are what generate the buzz. So they kicked a touchback, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. And I was thinking at the time, I always think you got to force a return there. 
Because, yes, they might bring it past the 25. Could be a disaster. But guess what? It was a disaster, right? So you'd rather shave a few seconds off. Now, they might win anyway because Mahomes is Mahomes. So. So, so, so the issue that we've had in Buffalo is no one truly knows what transpired or didn't transpire. Now, I'm on the sidelines, and I can't tell you for sure exactly what happened because I'm not on the headset right. with Sean McDermott. Sean is asked about it repeatedly, and Sean does not give details. But to his credit, I will always say that's what makes him a good leader. He doesn't throw people under the bus. He protects his people. Right. He's not going to tell you who screwed up, who didn't screw up, and that's why people love Sean McDermott, and that's why you see people wanting to stay in the organization, come back to the organization, and things like that. Yes, ultimately he's the head coach. Ultimately it's on him. I will tell you, I was down on the sidelines when they scored with 13 seconds left. Jay Feely was calling the game for CBS, former kicker, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, Jay, they got to squib this, right? And even a former kicker said, no, I think you just – Put it through the end zone and play defense. You're fine with 13 seconds. Obviously, they weren't, right? Mm -hmm. So, Mark, I mean, you can see there are other ways that you can go about it. And let's remember, this is an organization that lost on that very same play to the Tennessee Titans on home run throwback in a similar situation. Right. Oh, my gosh, that's painful. And plus, for the kickers, it's easier said than done to kick it inside the five and force the tough return. Sometimes it's a little shorter than you wanted. Right. And they kick it to the 12, and all of a sudden they're at the 35, and then it's even worse. But at least time comes off the clock. Sal Capaccio, WGR in Buffalo with us. All right, AFC East landscape. How is it changing in your opinion? Patriots do make the playoffs, but you took care of that. Dolphins get Tyreek Hill, among other assets. Jets, where are we at here in the AFC East right now? Well, I think the Dolphins are better, and they're, they've bridged the gap very, very slightly with the Bills, but there's still a massive gap at quarterback, right? I mean, yeah. we know who Josh Allen is, and we're still trying to figure out who Tua is, and it seems to me maybe they don't even believe Tua is necessarily the guy because why would they then make sure they trade for a guy like Tyreek Hill and completely grab more speed on offense? I think they're trying to make sure that he's surrounded by skilled players because he's not a guy who necessarily can carry the franchise. But that said, I think they have a lot of speed, a lot of skilled players. We know they did a good job on defense the last couple of years. I think that right now the Miami Dolphins are a better team than the New England Patriots who seem like they're letting everybody pass them by. Now look, on the radio, People think it's a hot take. I don't. I'm not trying to needle Patriots fans, but I don't have any Patriot fan friends anymore. They're all coming at me on Twitter because I say this, Mark, and I truly believe it. I think Bill Belichick for a decade lived in such an isolated state of knowing he had Tom Brady that he didn't have to go out and get big-name free agents. They didn't have to spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Now, two years later, I think they're still not understanding. They don't have Tom Brady, and they have to operate differently. And the New England Patriots are just operating as if they're still – This team that basically everybody wants to play for, they have the GOAT quarterback. Well, they don't, and now that's why you see players are leaving them. Players aren't trying to just line up to go into their door, and I think they've been passed by because of that by the Miami Dolphins. The Jets, who knows what Zach Wilson's going to be. They have a long way to go. I I like the energy Robert Sala brings. I I think that Joe Douglas has done a nice job. They got a hit on picks, and um, I think that Zach Wilson reminds me a bit of Josh Allen, his rookie year, that the big arm, the mistakes that he makes, but he has to be in a stable organization, and traditionally they just haven't been. All right, with the AFC changing, obviously, with Hill going to the Dolphins, that affects the Chiefs, obviously. Watson, the trade to Cleveland. In your opinion, how does the balance of power change? Russell Wilson coming to the Broncos, that AFC West is loaded. How do you see it working with the Bills, a team that is right there, ready to go to the Super Bowl? How's it going to be? The Bills right now are the betting line favorite or co-favorite maybe second in some books to win the Super Bowl, despite all these changes that are made, because they have Josh Allen, they have a great roster, they have a very good front office and a coaching staff. We know that. 
the problem's going to be, or the issue's going to be, once you get to the playoffs and there's multiple now really good quarterbacks and teams to beat. The one thing that's in the Bills' favor here, Mark, is they only play one team from the West next year, the Chiefs, in the mm. regular season. They don't have to play the Broncos. They don't have to play the Chargers that's with nice. Bosa and Mack. They don't have to play the, the Las Vegas Raiders. So that division's going to cannibalize itself, and it's to the Bills' benefit that now they're beating each other up. Well, maybe the Bills now have a better chance, believe it or not, for the number one seed because the other teams are beating each other up. Now, if you get the one seed, yeah, maybe you have to play two Western teams, two teams from the West. I don't know how it works out. We'll all see. But I think it helps the Bills that the Chiefs have kind of voluntarily made themselves a little bit weaker here, if you will. And they're going to be beating up on each other in the West Mm -hmm. while the Bills are feasting on the Patriots, the Jets, and the Dolphins, six games, like the Patriots used to when they had Tom Brady and were making those runs. What And tremendous runs they were. And I don't know if their record is still... Well, it's still so much better in the last couple of decades than the rest of the AFC East. But for a while, everybody else was under 500 total in those two decades. Uh, Incredible stuff. Sal Capaccio, WGR in Buffalo. Okay, you're here at the NFL meetings. You don't usually come to this one, right? I try to. I I, I missed uh, I wasn't here. Well, we didn't have it last year. Or the year before. That's right. No, so I have been here the last several years, actually. Okay, the last all time right. they've well, held it. We just never talk. I know, you know, right? It's John Harris who brought us together. Okay, but the big story here for the Bills is the stadium. Yes. So tell us what's going on in western New York with the stadium. So here uh, today, as we sit here on a Monday, and you're, you're, you're getting me at a great time, I literally just walked back over. There was a press conference. There was a press release, I should say, from New York Governor Kathy Hochul's office. And a press uh, conference, a little mini scrum, if you will, with Executive Vice President of Pagula Sports and Entertainment, Ron Rakuya. There's an agreement in place for a new Bill Stadium uh, from the state, Erie County, the Buffalo Bills, and the NFL. All parties have basically signed off. There's still some legal and, and, and legislative hurdles, I guess you'd say, because people downstate are going to have to vote and say, why are you giving a $850 million of public financing to right. Western New York? We know all that's going to happen. But basically... Here, the bottom line is this, Mark. There's going to be a new Buffalo Bill Stadium across the street in Orchard Park from where the stadium sits right now. They're signing a 30-year lease. We don't ever have to hear about, or at least probably in my <laughs> lifetime anymore, relocation, the threat of relocation. And it, it just it gives me chills. I grew up in Buffalo. I know how much this team means to the fabric of our city. If it, you, you lost your team in Houston, you know what it's like. But you also have the Rockets there, and you also have a lot of other things going on. And there's the, the Houston Astros. Buffalo, we have the Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Sabres. We have chicken wings in Niagara Falls. That's what we right. that's what we thrive on. And if this team ever left, it would really tear apart one of the smaller, most passionate places in America when it comes to football. It's not going to happen now, which we're really thankful for. What kind of attendance do you get from across the border in Canada? And I know during COVID, that's a little more challenging, obviously. But what is that typically like? It's a great question because the only time that I really believe the Bills were ever a threat to relocate was in the late 90s, they had a big renovation that they wanted to, to do at the stadium. And the reason why they got it done was because the, the Bills signed Doug Flutie from the CFL, Ooh. and all the Canadian people who saw him started buying season tickets in massive droves, and they became a big part of the season ticket base. And now there's a, I, I think, I, I can't be quoted on this, but I think I've read estimates of 15% of the Bills season ticket base is from Canada, which is amazing. Yeah. That is a huge swath of a 70,000-seat stadium, 60,000 fan base. Unfortunately, we hear from it all the time, because of the border, because of not being able to go back and forth, having PCR tests, people having to pay. If you're in Canada, you want to come down to a game, you've got to pay a lot of money just to go back home right. because of your testing and things like that. It's killing Buffalo Sabres attendance. Mm. It hurt Buffalo Bills attendance last year in a lot of ways. People still went to the games. 
but it's made it so much easier. Um, hopefully, everything's back to normal soon. But man, that Canadian fan base is a very, very big part, and that's why the, all the when the Bills played in Toronto and there were all the rumors that Toronto started. Toronto wanted the team; they wanted right. to take the team. When Ralph Wilson owned it, they knew that someday it was going to pass away. When it went up to a state, Bon Jovi was involved. That never happened. Terry and Kim Pagula bought the team in 2014. They ended the Toronto series. This team isn't going anywhere. We're going to do this, and now we are here eight years later, and we have a 30-year lease. Sal, you brought up Flutie. How's he looked at in Buffalo? I had to go there. I hope you have another half hour because that's what it's (laughs) going to take to talk about this. Doug Flutie um, is very revered in Buffalo. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of it has come post-career here where he's kind of gone back, and, you know, Doug's done some media stuff. You know, he's got a, a, a personality. He's in a band. He plays the drums, right? right. They do the, um, and I think he's done more stuff lately. I will give this Buffalo Bills organization the last several years under Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have really bought, brought back the legends. Bruce Smith is there all the time. Andre Reid, Thurman Thomas. Look, Thurman Thomas lives. Thurman Thomas lives in Western New York. Steve Tasker wow. lives in Western New York, does radio like you do here. He's, he's on One Bills Live on our uh, WGR flagship station. Um, Bruce is there all the time. Andre's there all the time. Daryl Talley's there all the time. These people not only make their home in Western New York, they come back all the time. But Doug Flutie's been a, one of these guys now that's been coming back a little bit more lately. They're being brought into it's, – it's a family. It really is. And I think because of that, that's really kind of amplified, you know, what people think about them. But I will tell you, the most contentious time ever as a Bills fan when it came to on the field was Johnson versus Flutie. Yeah. And what it came down to. And people still – I think there's still families that don't speak to each other over that, Mark. There's Sal Capaccio. Flutie Flakes, right? Who could forget? Sal Capaccio, Buffalo Bills sideline reporter, WGR Radio in Western New York. Tomorrow night, Nick Casario at 6 o'clock from here, President Greg Grissom of the Houston Texans, and a whole lot more. Thanks for listening to the show. Have a great evening, and go Texans.